It's time for Confessions of a Serial Salesman. Author, expert sales trainer, and serial entrepreneur Steve Noodleberg wants to help you change your life and your business using his 27 roles for influencers and leaders. This is the Confessions of a Serial Salesman podcast with Steve Noodleberg. Here's Josh Cohen. And welcome to a very special Super Bowl week edition of the Confessions of a Serial Salesman, episode 15. No one thought you'd make it past three, Steve Littleberg. <laughs> and look at you now. You've, you've outlived them all. So uh, we, we, found, we had some stats come up yesterday about the countries yeah. that this is being delivered to. People are tuning in. They're listening around the around world. Around the globe. You're <laughs> killing it. In oh, Ca- my mind. Mozambique, uh, Cameroon, <laughs> as I understand you are killing Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Confessions of a Serial Salesman, this podcast. Hey, Steve Noodleberg. I'm merely Josh Cohen. This based upon the best-selling book. Your book, The 27 Rules for Influencers and Leaders That Will Change Your Life and Business. And we don't need to waste any time as we get to our guest this week, who you have a story about because it was someone that you kept bothering in airports. (laughs) And finally, he said, sir, are you following me? The great Charlie Weiss is joining us today on the Confessions of a Serial Salesman. And the timing's perfect because you know a little something, Charlie, about Super Bowl week. About that media nonsense, about the distraction nonsense, and about how damn long halftime is as compared to you. You know a little something about that world, don't you? That I do. Uh, you know, let's get back to the Steve part, and we'll get to the football part in a little bit. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds you know, good. You know, Steve's great. Sounds good. You know, I, I'm doing a lot of things. You know, since I stopped coaching a few years ago, I'm doing some things in broadcasting, and then I do a, a lot of charity work. Yeah. And... It seems like every time I'm in an airport, someplace indiscriminate, but especially in Atlanta, I'd run into Steve. <laughs> Unbelievable. So, we I mean, did not know each other. And so the first time we're on the same plane, we're talking a little bit. And, then, you know, about three days later, I'm on a plane. And there he is. <laughs> and there he is. Yeah. And I go home that night and I said, hey, honey, I'm not so sure. This guy might be stalking me. Every, yeah. time I, every time I turn around, he's on the same plane. But... <laughs> You know, obviously, it was so that, true. obviously that led to, you know, conversations and, you know, one thing led to another and here I am today. And here you are. To, if you flew on enough planes and bothered the man enough in airports, sooner or later, he'd agree to do your podcast. You know, it was crazy. I, I did walk up to him and said, hey, coach, you know, I, I'm in the business. I'm yep. not going to geek out, whatever. Yep. But, right. you know, I, I, my son's a football coach. Right. You know, both of my sons are coaches now. I, I just wanted to introduce myself you know, yada, yada, yada. And then after the third or fourth time, he said, listen, let's pay attention to the man upstairs. Somebody's putting us together. There's a little, there's a little divine intervention. Yeah. And so yeah. I listened to, um, a, I got to know him, learned a lot about what he's doing. We're going to talk about it today. Mm-hmm. R- Rule 27 in my book is you have to give to get. That's right. And what this man has done in charity um, and for his daughter and for people um, of special needs is incredible. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to be part mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just met. We just had lunch with the big boss uh, here, Steve P. Steve Politziner, and he's getting involved. PNC Bank, Cressman, uh, Bronson's getting involved. That's great. You, Josh Cohen, are getting involved. I would love to, <laughs> and I'd just, like to learn a little more about it. You just don't know it yet. I just don't know it. <laughs> That's the story of a lot of things around here. You can always tell the power control because yeah. there's always telling people what they're going to do, and those finding out. 
Well, uh, I have a daughter, Hannah, who has uh, special needs. She's globally developmentally delayed. Mm-hmm. Um, she's 22 years old. She lives in South Bend, Indiana. Um, my wife and I, back in 2002, I had a, an operation that I actually had died twice, both on Sunday night and on Tuesday night. Really? You know, some of my ex-players wish it would have stayed that way, but uh, <laughs> it didn't. And, you know, the following... The following fall, no, the following summer, we were at our place in Pauley's Island, South Carolina, at our condo, looking over the ocean, and my wife looked at me and said, you know, you could have died. Never, We would have never done any good for anyone other than ourselves. And on that, wow. day, on that day, that was the start of our charity called Hannah and Friends, um, after my daughter Hannah and her friends, mm. which, you know, basically we wanted to raise compassion, bring more compassion and awareness to the plight of people with special needs. So uh, fortunately, through my days as the offensive coordinator with the Patriots and then as the head coach at Notre Dame, we, you know, we raised some money and we, my wife and I put a bunch of money in ourselves and we uh, bought 40 acres of land in South Bend, about two miles north of Notre Dame Stadium, and we built a community for people with special needs. And um, it, it's really a special place because we have like an activity center and a, a learning center and a, and a gym and a barn with horses. And, and then resident, you know, residents live there as well. But, you know, we have day programs going on and evening pro- programs going on and night programs going on and summer camps going on. For people with special needs, it's really, it's really like the utopia for people with special needs. And I think that you know, it's one of those places. If you're a parent of a kid with special needs, or you know somebody, you know that has special needs, their families, or specifically their parents, especially their parents, mm. every day from the day they're born, live with the what's going, who's going to take care of them. When I can't take care right, of them anymore, right? That's a real, real thing. It's a very real thing. Yeah. You know, so we—that's why we built Hannah and Friends. At the time, Hannah was only like seven years old, so we didn't know if Hannah would end up living there or not. Mm-hmm. But you know, when she got to be eighteen, the spot opened up, probably a little earlier than we were ready to give her. But uh, she's moved in there, and she has thrived. I mean, she's much more social. Mm. You know, she has friends. She's happy. You know, uh, I go there to the house, and, you know, even though she's 22, she only says about 75 words. Mm-hmm. But when I walk in after about 30 seconds, she's saying bye-bye, which is her nice way of saying, get the hell out of here. <laughs> That's I enough. I don't, I, don't, I don't need you. That's so, enough for today. Uh, so, um, you know, that, you know, because she, she's transitioned so well, my wife and I uh, were kind of given the freedom that, well, if we wanted to, we could move somewhere else. And my wife's an equestrian rider, and she told me about the Wellington area. Mm-hmm. Where if you're an equestrian person, whether you're a pro or an amateur, she's an amateur. She's pretty good. But uh, we have six horses, and we moved. Uh, we loaded up the truck and moved down to the Wellington area where my wife you know, rides every competitively every other weekend and you know, it's kind of like her world now that I'm following her around instead of my world. See that? 
my world where she's following me around. The roles have reversed. And what we've what we've decided, you know, we've been here a little over two years, and what we decided is, you know, we wanted to do something for the people in South Florida, specifically Palm Beach County, you know, kind of not necessarily hand and friends, but something something related to people with special needs. Mm-hmm. And I have a quarterback who played at Notre Dame for me uh, that lives in Fort Lauderdale by the name of Brady Quinn. Sure. Did you know and, he lived in Lauderdale? Yeah, he was talking about being at the Boca Raton Bowl every year. Got it. Yeah. Okay. And uh, as a matter of fact, he went to the Boca Raton Bowl right after he and I had, had dinner that night yep. in, yeah. in, in Boca. Um, so uh, so uh, Brady has a charity for veterans. So what we decided to do is we're kind of teaming up and teaming up along with some of the old our other ex-players and, you know, some teammates of his, some not. And uh, we want to build a residential community for vets with special needs. That's great. So, uh, oh, that's great. It's con- it's on the infant. It's in the infancy stages right now, but you know, we're, we're kind of sold on, this is what we want to do. And, you know, that's, that's our, now that's our plight. And that's a great combination of two. I, I can't think of another nation in the world that distreats their veterans. Unbelievable. Are as disrespectful and unappreciative. To, because everyone, this football season, stand. How dare someone take a knee? The anthem. And what do you do? Are you hiring veterans? Are you helping veterans with mental health and care? And I'll say another thing about special needs. My friend Ted, uh, Todd Decker, for years we go to dinner. Okay, uh, Todd, with palsy, doesn't speak very well, but he speaks good enough. He's never stood, he never walk, he'll never skate, he loves hockey. When we go to dinner, the servers talk to him as if he's four months old. Yeah. And they'll say, and what would you like to eat? And Todd will say, um, I would like, and, and, and they're like, ooh. Something makes people uncomfortable yeah. about those who have uh, challenges, developmental disabilities. And there is a great need for folks to be exposed to re- recognize that there's a person in there who is thinking, feeling, growing, learning, emoting, and it's all best that we learn to speak each other's languages and that commonality. You know, so, the compact, like I said before, our, our mission statement is being, bringing more compassion and awareness to people with special needs. Mm-hmm. But you'd be surprised the kids from today have a lot more compassion and awareness. It's the grown-ups that don't. You know, True. And, Simon and, Sinek says you know, it's, it's and, was and, our and issue. Right? You think about it like when when I was a kid, I remembered all those kids on the special needs bus and yep. all those kids that were making fun of those kids on the special needs yep. bus. Yep. And that's my daughter. Yep. You know, yeah. You know, but the kids in school now have become so much better at accepting accepting people with special needs and embracing than we did yep. when when we were kids. So yes. obviously it's moving in the right. You direction. see it with young men. You remember the story over a decade ago, the young man in Rochester, New York, um, autistic, and uh, in the basketball game and a three pointer, and then it seemed other schools emulated. You see homecoming kings and queens with Down syndrome yep. now. Yeah. You see the best buddies program. Which, which is phenomenal. The Best Buddy Program, I'm not sure you guys are aware, they operate here in South Florida, Palm Beach County also. And basically the cool kids at school are adopting a best friend who is developmentally, who is physically challenged, who has Down syndrome, and they are saying, we're going to merge lunch tables. 
because we all have a lot more in common yeah, than you believe. Happened, and right. it makes the world that much. But you're absolutely right. This younger generation is more accepting, is more understanding, is more compassionate. You've got young men and women coming out with their sexual identity in the sixth and seventh grade. But when I went to school, those kids hit it, hit it, hit it, lied, lied, lied because of fear of retribution and now becoming named homecoming kings and queens. So you're absolutely so, right, so the coach. Big, the big takeaway for me, you know, was that at this stage of, of Coach's career, he doesn't have to do any of this of stuff. I, I think, you know, when, when you know, all is said and done, he's had, you know, certainly a great career and that career, you know, still continues today in terms of advice and, you know, all the things he knows about football. But he's left the mark in, you know, with what they've done in South Bend. So to move to South Florida mm. and then say, we still haven't done enough for this community. You can always do them a little more. Unbelievable. That, that, so that said to me, and, and there will be people that listen to this and go, well, what does this have to do with selling and how, how does this relate? No matter what you do in your life, if you are a good person first, you know, and do the right thing, the right thing comes back. The universe so seems to. Yeah, you know, so that's why when I, you know, got to know Coach and we started talking and we, we've really become, you know, good friends, I said, you know what? I have that ability to network mm-hmm. because networking is only one letter away from, from not, not working. working. <laughs> See, here, here's, here's the problem, too. You know, there's like 8,000 nonprofits in Palm Beach County. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I really think that's the number. I think and they're yeah. all I, I, and, important and, to somebody. And I'm not saying that there's a problem with any of them. I'm saying mm-hmm. every, but everyone needs the same thing and they need funds. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, there's, there's multiple ways you can help. You know, obviously financial is always critical, but time is critical too. You know, when, when people don't have money but they have time to donate, you know, you know. I always put a, a great value on time because you could be around people. You could help. You could help in, in night activities. Just you know, mm-hmm. extra people that want to go to a, sure. you know, to karaoke or to dances and things like that. But you think about this vet project, okay? So, you know, in the state of Florida, one of the one of the biggest problems with vets is a number that are homeless. Correct. The well, the, well, the weather's nice. Right. So if you're going to go somewhere where you if, you know you don't have any money and you're going to be homeless, you might as well go somewhere where the weather's to, uh, the weather's to- tolerable yep. and you know and you can and you can make it you know and I think that you know what we'd like to do is we'd like to build a nice residential community where people can transition you know can transition through in their lives you know where they could stop in and stop in and you know help gather themselves. You know, you know, get a little help. Go get themselves a job. Go give themselves some some place to live and get on the right track. But th- uh, that's on one hand. But the other hand, you have people who have emotional problems, physical problems, psychological problems. You know, and the VA only you know only can do so only can do so much. Yeah. I think that I think this is something that is a hot button you know ticket these days. And you know, Steve's right. You know, I really don't need to be doing this. You know, especially you know, towards the downside of of my you know, you know, coaching career. But on the other hand, you know, you know, what what is it? What's wrong with finding the time and effort to kind of spearhead a mission like this? There's plenty of people out there that can help with either their time or their money. Some some people have a lot of money, but people are tapping on on them all the time. Right. They're all going back to that well, you mm-hmm. know, trying to trying to get everything they can out of them to make their place work. And 
I'm not trying to compete with with None of them, with man. any of those right mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. What I'm trying to do is just say this is what we want to do, and hopefully enough people will get on get on board so that you can you know make the project not only come to fruition, but you know the more the more money you raise, the bigger the project. You right, know? and you don't ever spend money that you know, that you don't have. I, I just came from an event in which I was uh, hosting with, with Jim Kelly. Another another good friend. <laughs> sharing his life story. And Jim said, I want everyone to remember this because I thought of it and I know I better write it down. I'm going to forget it. Remember this. And I remember what he said. He said, every one of you, do something today that makes someone else's tomorrow. Do something today for someone that makes their tomorrow. They have an opportunity. And we're talking about not just with the disabilities, the handicaps, the politically correct terms of developmental disorders and related issues. Human beings, I work with the Ark of Palm Beach. They don't park wheelchairs in front of television sets. And if a kid's got drool on his chin once in a while, grab it with a towel. When that kid gets there at 7 a.m., by the time he leaves at 5 p.m., he's grown and developed and can do more and can experience more because it's a di- this is not parking wheelchairs. It's improving every day, growing and developing and being more. And it sounds like you and your former quarterback, Brady Quinn, are recognizing there is a great need within the veterans, uh, et cetera, in this particular case. Well, and it really doesn't even need to be said. It's so obvious. It's blatantly obvious. So, you know, like you said, we're in the infancy stages of this, but we're going to make this work. You know, when we decided to do this at first, I was going to try to come down here and replicate hand and friends. Uh, I just don't think I'd be able to help enough people. Really? And, you know, you could help some people. And, mm-hmm. you know, you can't save the world, you know, but you could help some people. But I just felt that, you know, this other idea was, you know, complimenting, look, uh, complimenting what I'm doing and what Brady's doing. And when I say what I'm doing to say what my wife's doing, I just follow her lead, you know. <laughs> so let me not try to act like this is right. this is this is my doing, my my wife has spearheaded this ever since we go all the way back to 2003 when she made that comment to me because that was a that was kind of a figurative slap in the face. You know, hey, I'm feeling pretty good at myself. You know, with the offensive coordinator with the Patriots, just won the Super Bowl, <laughs> feeling pretty good. You know, making decent money. You know, got this young quarterback that looks like he's got a chance. Get out of Michigan. Uh, yeah, he, he, Can you he, he was a new guy, Brady, but, baby. He was a new guy by the name of Brady, but he he was our sixth round draft choice, first year in the league. He was our fourth string quarterback. Ninety nine, you know, but he was our fourth string quarterback, and no one keeps four on the roster. But we thought we'd keep him on the roster because he might have had a chance. And the next year, he only threw three passes that year. By the way, in was, in uh, two thousand, yeah, he was one for three in a game against Detroit for like six yards. You know, <laughs> if Mo Lewis, you know? if Mo Lewis wouldn't have exploded the. Uh, the spleen of Drew Bledsoe, might we have never known, or would he wound up, or would have Tom wound up somewhere else? Well, I mean, look at him. You have to figure he would have ended up somewhere else. But I'll tell you, that year, he really didn't clearly beat out Damon Ewart for the number two spot. Really? I mean, in, in preseason, it was too close to call. Hmm. So, you know, when we had to rank him get, get, getting ready for the game because you don't dress three, you dress two. Mm-hmm. So we had to figure out who we we're going to dress. Now we had just given Damon, you know, a million dollar signing bonus to sign from Mar- he was Marino's backup he was here with the Dolphins. Yeah. yeah, and then we gave him a million bucks to come to be the backup right there. But uh, it was too close to call, and you know, Bill and I sat down 
And he goes, what do you think? I said, that's too close to call. So we decided to go with the younger guy, and it wasn't because he beat him out. It was just, you know, almost, it was almost a flip of a coin to who number two was. Destiny. And, Unbelievable. And the, and rest, fate. the rest is history. This was a young man. By the way, our guest today, again, Charlie Weiss, a total of 15 years in NFL assistant, three Super Bowls as oh. OC with the Patriots. S- 16 years. 16 years. <laughs> 16 years, <laughs> Nudelberg, do your homework. Yeah. And, of course, Notre Dame to those back-to-back BCS Bowls in 2005 and in 2006, and it goes on to Florida OC and, of course, at Kansas as well. And we're talking, when he says uh, Bill, he means Belichick, and when he says uh, Brady, he means Tom Brady. There was a different Brady later in the form of Quinn at Notre Dame as that story progresses. The greats have something different about them, whether it's business or sales. I know personally some people who are the greatest of all time at what they do, legitimately, and they're different in a way of which I know that no one has to tell them to motivate or to start or to work. They just do it. What did, what was different about Tom Brady? What was different in him than where you, where awesome. today we're at this point? Awesome question. Well, when he was a rookie, and he was the sports-string quarterback, uh, at the end of practice, of which he'd be getting no reps, by the way. He'd mm. get no reps in practice. Mm. So at the end of practice, he used to take like the guys that were rehabbing, the guys that were coming off of injuries, or – the other guys, like the guys on the practice squad, you know, the guys that weren't that uh, that weren't getting any real reps, and then he'd go back and he'd go through all the plays that had happened during the day that he could replicate with the number of guys he had, so that he wouldn't lose any of the reps. Wow! And you'd watch him. No coaches would be there for this. You know, they'd kind of do this on their own. You know, and you'd watch him and. As a quarterback, by far, the most important quality, nothing close for second, is whether you have it or not. No, it is the word. It. Do you have it or don't you have it? Mm -hmm. And he had it. Can't explain exactly what it is, but everybody but you around know him when you knew. See it? Okay, everybody but, around but him. But he had. Do you know it in practice when you see it? He's the Pied Piper. You know, like you know, the team gravitated. It wasn't just the receivers. It would, he'd go sit with the offensive linemen. He'd go go sit the running backs. He'd go sit with the DBs. He'd go sit with the linebackers. He'd go sit with the defensive linemen. You know, he'd go sit with the trainers. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just had it. So that Super Bowl. St. Louis Rams, enormous favorites. It's now February of 2002. First Super Bowl played in February because of the events of 9-11, which we will always remember and we will never forget. May God bless America. And the Patriots get the ball, and here's Pat Summerall and John Madden saying, well, you got to take a knee, this is a young guy. And they say, Charlie, this is, uh, this is on your watch. You're calling yeah. these plays. Yeah, this was an interesting conversation because there was me and Bill and Tommy and Bledsoe. All right. We're standing there, and um, you know, we looked at each other, and Bill said, you know, said something, and I said to Bill, you know, I said, well, well, you might as well give it a shot. They got all the momentum because they you know, they had just it was seventeen to three going into the fourth quarter, and they, they scored twice to tie it up. Right, and you know, you know, so I give him the first play call, and I said, now, you know, don't take a sack. You know, if you feel any feel any pressure, just don't you know don't force a don't force a throw. Just throw the ball away. Mm-hmm. 
And Bledsoe looks at him. He goes, hell with that. Just sling it. You know, you know, you know, you know and on the first play of that drive, uh, we got interior pressure by one of their defensive linemen that actually had a hand on him. And he stepped up and threw a check down, which was a good place to start. And then we proceeded in that drive. There were two critical plays in the drive. Um, one, one, well, actually three. One play threw uh, a check, a f- check flare to the left to a running back by the name of J.R. Redman, Remember who, him. Who, who made a guy miss, got about 15 yards, and barely got out of bounds. Because if he doesn't get out of bounds, the clock runs out. Right. Okay, then we get the ball about our own 40-yard line, and I call a three-by-one formation to the right, to the wide side of the field with 11 people in there, which is three wide receivers, a tight end, and a running back. And Lovey Smith, who's the coordinator, for a rare time, brought a two-week blitz. Now, he's basically a two-Tampa guy, Okay, but he brings he, he blitzes off the weak side. Now, when the blitz off the weak side, the receiver over there is supposed to adjust his route, run a side adjust. Quarterback's supposed to see it and throw it to him. Well, the quarterback saw it. He adjusted his route. Tommy saw it, but he didn't throw it to him. Hmm. He rolled to his right and threw the ball out of bounds because he knew that if he threw that short route, they would have tackled him and the clock would have run, run out. Wow. Clock would have run out. So so he did not throw it to him. Mm-hmm. Even though he saw it, okay, he didn't throw it to him. So then what I did is I changed personnel and ran the exact same play. Mm-hmm. So to them, it looked like a totally different play. It had to be. But it was the same play. Same play. Ran the exact same play. This time he did play to Tampa, and we threw it to Troy Brown for about 20 yards, and we're already in field goal range, but we had a little time left. So we came out and ran one more play where we just dumped the ball off to our tight end for about another six yards. Got and, out of bounds. And we, no, he was just in the middle of the field. We were just going oh, right. we to run short routes and clock it. So we ran short routes and clocked it. And then Adam Venetieri, who you know, was a Hall of Fame kicker, went on and split the upgrades. Did his job. And here's a man that had the responsibility. You talk about running companies and corporations and decisions. Uh, these are decisions that are going to affect the course of history. And some people want that pressure. They want that moment. And others say, no, no, what do you want to do? Uh, what, what you run? You ta- Charlie Weiss is the guy who's saying, all right, here's what we're going to do, fellas. Execute. He's a, it's giving orders in business. And when you yeah. instruct Steve in sales and in motivation, you're, tell, you're giving them all Charlie could do is tell them, here's what you got to do. Here's what you got to not do. And now you go next to show. So the cool thing about sports and business is obviously they they align. Of course. You know, in sports we get to hear these kind of stories about the decisions and the choices you make. Mm-hmm. And that aligns really, really well with how people run their lives and how they run their business. It's all based on choices. We all have choices. You can do anything. You can look left. And there are consequences. Right, and choices. there are consequences to all those choices. So your actions bring, you know, it, 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 you know with, with great power comes great responsibility. Spider-Man's you know, uncle said yeah, that. Yeah, you know what? So, so when I get to hear stories like this, 
which is actually very rare for me to be quiet on my own podcast. I noticed that. No one, no one silences Steve Newberg you know what? The until Charlie so Weiss arrives. Listen to the, the passion and detail that he can talk about something oh, that happened so long ago. You know, but it was like, you know, instantly I'm in that game with him. And, you know, I changed the players. I did this. You 16 know. years ago this week. Incredible. Yeah. And, and, and so to know that the GOAT, the greatest of all time, without arguing, mm-hmm. uh, he had a hand in making who that guy is. Yeah. And now you still work with the, uh, the Patriots. You do some, you know, uh, commentary work for them. You work with Colin. You know, uh, the current work he does is great because, you know, the insights, um, again, and this, this validates, you know, the whole consultancy kind of thing. Right. He has valuable information and can look at the board differently than, you know, and in business, that's really key is to ask people around you who are smart. He's smart. I'll tell you the, the funniest part of that day. You know, for the Super Bowl, you have to get there way before the game. Yeah. And back, that was also Desert, desert Storm. Was it Desert Storm? No, that was the Giants. That was the Giants. Yeah, no, the Giants, that was, uh, that was uh, yeah, Super yeah. Bowl 25. Okay. There was still so huge security. This was, security. The, this was right. post 9 11. Okay. So, no, right. okay, yeah. There so, were tanks in the street. So, right. it was, so it was because 9 11 security, right. security was so tight. Crazy. All right, so we get there way early. Now, my wife and son are kind of sitting behind our bench to the left, like where our section was. And, mm-hmm. you know, I go walk over to them before the game. And they, they weren't sitting in the first row, but they were sitting, you know, in that section. Yeah. So they come over, and I'm talking to them. And the security guard's standing there. And I go to my wife and, and said, now, look, after we win, okay, you guys meet me right here, and, I'm gonna br- and then I'm going to bring you on the field from right here. Right. So the security guard looks at me and he goes, "What do you mean after you win?" <laughs> I said, hey, "I said, hey, buddy." Yeah. I go, "Just remember, I said that because when I want want to get him on the field yeah. after the game, I'm going to be looking for you." Yeah. Okay. So the game's over, we win, everyone runs on the field, not me. I go, everyone's running on the field. I'm running to the stands. Mm-hmm. I'm going right to that spot where I told my wife and son to be there. Yeah, the guard was and there. There and the guard stand there. <laughs> And she starts to go over the wall. She goes, he goes, lady. I said, hey. And he looked at me. He goes, go ahead, lady. Wow. Go ahead, so, lady. <laughs> so you know what's fascinating? Go ahead, lady. You <laughs> called it. Another fascinating point is obviously success leaves clues. I talk about that all the time. His son, mm-hmm. Charlie Jr. That's right. Just got hired by just FAU. Just jumped on the lane train. And the, the reports on Charlie, and Ken, you can actually speak to this, is that you know, at 24, one of the greatest offensive minds. I mean, they're talking about amazing. How, amazing. You know, so where do you get that from? That means his mother. <laughs> <laughs> Some folks who are legendary in their fields of endeavor do not want their sons or daughters to try and enter the same field because of the comparisons and the legacies that are impossible to follow. So, Charlie, when your son of your name, right, this is Junior, uh, wants to do this. Are you thinking, son, you don't want to do this? Oh, we tried all we could to discourage him. Did you? Oh, Did you? yeah, because, you know, when you're a family guy, you know, it's a crummy life. Right. You know, you spend so many hours. It's it's over 100 hours a week. Mm. And people say there's no way you work over 100 hours a week. It's over 100 hours. Mm. It is. Okay. And, and, My boys are know, in it, I know. It's <laughs> over 100 hours a week. And, you know, it's not, if you're a family guy, it's not a great great profession to get in and he's you know he's married young and you know his 
his kids are his dogs. And For he now. Finds, he, he, he finds that out how little time you have. But when he decided to do it, the only thing I said is said, look it. I'm going to tell you the same thing I told your mother when uh, when I met her before we got married and I was coaching. I said, I'll promise you this. You will never get your just due as far as time, mm. but you will get every free second I have. Mm. Oh, that's great. So when I'm not working, I'll either be doing something with you or something for you. Amen. Wow. Amen. How about that? And then the kid running the board right now, right? Yep. He'll be questioning Charlie's plays as the voice of the FAUL. Yes, indeed. Is oh. Ken allowed to turn his mic on? Is Ken allowed to Absolutely. Ma- Absolutely. Please Ken, do. Ken, crack your mic for a moment because you're going to be calling these plays. And there is no criticism of the offensive coordinator coming out of my Ever. mouth. Ever. But you're fair. You're fair. <laughs> I am fair, but I also am a massive homer as well. Yes, you and are. And on That's the true. recruiting trail, we have signing day a little over a week away now, a week and a half away. And uh, from what I'm hearing from kids that are being recruited by FAU, Coach Charlie Weiss Jr. has gotten on the trail and has done nothing but impressed not only kids but families. And he's been back in this OC role for that's, about that's two and a half, three weeks. That's what you're hearing. Absolutely. It, it's kind of funny because, you know, he's kind of, you know he's a good-looking kid, very polished. You know, when he was a junior in high that school. That he did get from his mother. He, he, was, he was about 210, 215 when he was a junior in high school. And some of the Notre Dame fans used to make fun of him and stuff like that. It really hurt him. Mm. So he went and lost a bunch of weight. He weighs about 155 pounds. He's got 4% body fat. Wow. He looks like he's about 15 years old. And he goes, he, I, I asked him how it's going in recruiting. He goes, Dad, it's, he goes, it's pretty funny. I walk in there, and these coaches look at me and, and ask me why I'm not in class. You know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'm, I'm 15. Uh, yeah. I, uh... Can I ask you about a boy named Montana? Sure. I'm watching a game. It's a Saturday afternoon. And Notre Dame's packed up at their own one or two yard line. And they throw a pass. It was the first series of the game. And I said, what in the hell are they doing? Is Charlie Weiss out of his mind? Who does this? And then I heard a story about a young boy, Montana, who was named after Joe Montana, who was very sick. And he had a wish. And he wanted to call the first play of the game that Saturday. He didn't live to see Saturday, Coach. No. Did he? No. And you kept your promise to this boy, didn't you? Well, uh, it, the story is actually better than that. Oh, you know, God, um, I didn't know this. Um, Holy cow! First of all, let's start with Joe Montana and I were freshmen together in college, so we were friends. We were friends since. Whatever we happened to that guy? Whatever. Yeah, he whatever. turned out okay. Okay. You know, for. <laughs> Third-round draft choice right. himself, I Not think bad. he was. Um, He's pitching so credit card. <laughs> it's a Wednesday before our our game against University of Washington in Seattle. You know, the kids at Notre Dame actually go to class. You know, I get a, I get a call in the morning from HR wanting to know if one of our players could go over to visit with this kid who just got back from, you know, a make-a-wish trip to Orlando and only had a couple of months to live. And I said, look, you know, our kids are all in class. So I said, uh, I said, I'll tell you what. I go, um, give our operations guy where it is, and uh, I'll go over there myself. So I went over to go visit the kid. So I get to the house, and it's the kid and the mom, and, you know, the kid's in pretty bad shape, you know. And But we're talking, you know, he could talk fine, but he had lost, you know, the cancer was coming up his body and it was 
He's becoming more immobile. So I brought him a ball and brought him a jersey, and you know, you know, and we had a little catch with the with the ball, and you know, and his mom's crying because the kids just. So I said, "Okay, Montana, I got to go back to work. So let me. What can I do for you? Tell me what I can do for you." He goes, "Well, like any other ten-year-old kid, I don't know." And I said, "How about how about you call the first play of the game?" You can play the first, you can call the first play of the game. I said, and he goes, okay. I said, all right, what do you want us to do? He goes, um, pass to the right. I said, okay. Wow. First play of the game is going to be a pass to the right. So, you know, we leave, now it's Wednesday. We practice on Thursday. We go out a day early because it's a West Coast trip, you know, Thursday night. Friday morning, you know, uh, I get up and my operations guy knocks on my door early. And I said, what's up? And he goes, you're not going to believe this. No, I hadn't even told the team yet. I hadn't even told the team a story yet. So he goes, you're not going to believe this. And I go, what? And he goes, he died last night. Oh. I said, you're kidding me. And he goes, no, he died. And I said, well, get the mom's number. I'll call the mom up. So now I have to talk to the team. So I use it as a teaching moment. Mm-hmm. So I tell tell the team about, you know, about keeping your word. That That's what the whole subject was about, keeping your word. Mm. So I said, I said, now listen. You know, I told him what had happened and told him about that the kid had died. And I said, now, so on the first play of the game, we're going to call zero on, sprint 339 naked. Okay, we're going to run a boot, and I want you to throw the ball no matter what. Okay, do not hold the ball. Even if it's incomplete, make sure you throw it to the right. All right, so... Now we go for. I said I don't want to. I don't want the media to know about this. This is going to be a private thing. I go. Let's go kick their ass when the game's over. I want everyone to come in here and sign that ball. Do not tell the media after the game. I go. We'll get. We'll we'll fly back, and then tomorrow afternoon I'll, I'll bring it back to the house and go give it to the mom. All right. So Washington gets the ball first, mm-hmm. and they proceeded to go right down the field. I mean, now they weren't very good, but we weren't slowing them down. And they go, and I would have preferred they scored on this drive than for them to do what they did. Yep. They fumbled on about the one-inch line. Yep. So the ball literally. Uh, Inside the one. was No, I'm I'm talking it was like (laughs) an inch off the goal line. It's like that far from the goal Mm -hmm. line. So Brady Quinn, he looks at me, and Andy Fasano, who's the starting tight end for the uh, for the Dolphins this year, he's the tight end. So they both look at me because Anthony knows because he's getting the ball. And and Brady goes, well, what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. I said, what do you mean what are we going to do? He goes, well, what are we going to do? I said, Brady, we've got no choice. I mean, we, On the half-inch line. I said, we said we're going to throw it to the right. We're throwing it to the right. You know, so uh, we did, and we threw it to Fasano. Yep. And on a rare moment of athleticism, <laughs> he not only caught the ball, but then jumped over somebody and ended up gaining 12 yards. Yep. Yep. We had, went and scored, and you know we, we whooped them pretty good that day and signed the ball. No one said anything to the media. So, you know, we're fly, we fly back, and now it's the next day, and I have, you know, Sunday press conference. Now, most of the media is not back because they were out there. So I walk into the press conference to the locals that didn't make the trip. Right. And the first question I get asked is, 
Coach West, could you tell us about Montana? Oh, my God. And I look at the and I said, excuse me? And they said, Montana Moskowitz, can you tell, can you tell us a story about Montana? And I said, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not prepared to talk about that at this time. Yeah. Um, I'll talk about it on Tuesday. You know, this is too soon. I'll talk about it on Tuesday. Well, what his mother had done is after the game was over, she called up all the TV stations. Wow. And she said, you're not going to play with Coach Washington. You know, and she, te- she, tell- she tells everyone the story. So now it's, wow. it's, it's all over, you know, all over the local. Right. You know, our sports guys don't even know the story yet because they're all trying to get back from Seattle. They didn't, weren't on a chart yeah. with the rest of us. You know, so everyone knows the story. So the next, the coolest part of the story was we got to give them the ball and it made, it, it softened the blow for the family. And in the next game, somebody spent a lot of money and made 80,000 pass right t-shirts Wow! in honor of this kid. So that game, everyone was wearing. You knew the story. I knew the story. Everyone was everyone was wearing a T-shirt that said "Pass Right." It's an amazing story, and I remember Saturday afternoon, and I remember thinking, "What in the hell is he doing passing there? Is he out of it?" Because it's a kind of decision that can cost you your job. And then when I heard the story a few weeks later, I thought two things. That explains the play, and I'll never ever root against Charlie Weiss again. I won't bet against them. I won't root against them. Never ever, because that's the kind of guy. We all should aspire to be. Keep your word because some things in life are more important than whether or not you win a football game. The sad part about it is his mother had cancer too. She died about a month later. Oh, I'm no. Kidding. Yeah. Oh, kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And she told me when I talked to her, when I went back and I talked to her before the funeral, that you know her only goal in life was to make sure she outlived him. Boy, that's something. You know, so that'll, t- that'll, that'll show you how, wow. how people... Talk about give to get. Give to get. Give to get. You want to talk about intestinal fortitude. All I did was call play. That's it. (laughs) And kept your word. And that matters in life, and that goes along with the theme. Coach Weiss, can't thank you enough for the stories and for telling us about Hannah's friends and the the foundation and for being with us on this podcast. Yeah, and if you want to take a look at it, you know, you can go look at, you know, our websites, hannahandfriends.org, you know, H-A-N-N-A-H. And org, and it's pretty pretty cool website. You can, you know, you'll see if you look hard enough, you'll see some embarrassing moments. Like we had a fundraiser in New York, and Bon Jovi was the entertainment, and he had me and Belichick singing background to "Wanted Dead or Alive." <laughs> so if you really, yeah, really. You really want to see me put it out there and embarrass myself? There you go. There. there you go. Well, we appreciate you, Charlie Weiss. For your time and for those stories, and I, we look wow. at, we ran late today, and that's too bad because some of this is important. Uh, every, all of this is important to somebody, absolutely. And some of this is important to everybody. Incredible. We always ask you, uh, tell us something good, Steve Noodleberg, as we wrap up episode fifteen. Tell us something good. So I'm actually gonna call an audible, and I'm gonna throw, tell me something good to coach. And give us your prediction for the game on Sunday. Oh, that's not fair. <laughs> Come on. Well, that's not fair. You know, I obviously have to, have to pick the Patriots because number 12. Yeah. Okay, but I think it's going to be really close. I As agree. do I. As do I. And that means, those of you in Las Vegas, 
you might look at the plus sign. Yeah. We understand. <laughs> Super close. And I and I agree. I think it's going to be a close game. So it should be great. Uh, you know, I, should be. I, I am so, I uh, can't believe that I got to sit here and watch this this happened. This, this pretty, was incredible. This was a, a good great one. Moment. Wow. It's a pretty great Blown moment. Away. Hey, sorry, Steve, for not letting you talk. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, uh, yeah. when was the last time I couldn't, didn't have anything to say? <laughs> Can you come back every week? No. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Coach Charlie Weiss, for Steve Newberg, Josh Cohen. Uh, reminded you, uh, the book, Confessions of a Serial Salesman, the 27 Rules for Influencers and Leaders That Will Change Your Life and Business, available on audio as well as in print. And paperback. Paperback. It's all over. It's like the Beatles saying. Paperback writer. Somebody just bought my book from Barnes & Noble. So I was like, wow. But it was you. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Doesn't it count? On the Confessions of a Serial Salesman. Thank you, Ken. The podcast.